0: So we're doing a podcast. Sure, we're doing another one. We're doing another podcast. So do this is—do v- we want to acknowledge the fact that we had a previous podcast? Is that even a thing?
1: Yeah, I guess it's—it's it's on the record. I mean, we're not going to get out of it. Um, no, I mean, nobody's ever going to know about it unless we tell them. But because uh, nobody ever knew about it at the time, but yeah, we did have another podcast.
0: It's dead. It didn't make it. Well, it was a a good learning experience, which to a certain degree is what this is all about anyway. Yeah.
1: So this is VR Hermits. This is our new podcast, and uh, this is about virtual reality development, or particularly us learning about virtual reality development um, as we go. So who are we? I'm Joe Simpson,
0: and you are? Dave Ramsey.
1: And uh, I figured this first show, um, we could just kind of have an informal discussion about who we are and why we're doing this and uh, kind of our background and in development and why we want to get into VR and why we want to make games, um, just that kind of stuff. So why don't I make you do all the talking first and uh, just give me just an outline of who you are,
0: wh- you know, what it's all about, why you're getting into VR. Okay, Uh, my name is Dave Ramsey. I've been a professional developer since 94. Um, Initially FileMaker development, then uh, AppleScript stuff, then Oracle development and front-end development through ODBC, and then back into FileMaker. And uh, over the years, this has turned into now I am an independent software developer, Um, building a tool for FileMaker developers. This is my day job. Um, And that involves a lot of Swift development on the Mac side and C Sharp development on the Windows side. And that's been a lot of fun, and I've learned a lot of really interesting stuff, and it's made me more comfortable with learning new technologies and just kind of throwing out what I know and starting over with something else. And along the way... I saw this neat VR stuff and I went, well, that's interesting. I'm, you know, I'll wait for another year or two for that to settle down, you know, competing standards to shake out and, and things like that. And then somebody stuck an Oculus on my head. (laughs) Um, and I was done. Like within the week I was ordering components for a windows machine and, uh, uh, for, for the record, it was within twelve hours. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was shopping at that point, but I wasn't mm-hmm. buying within twelve I th- hours. I think you bought it that that day. Did I? Okay. Yeah. Well, we'd we'd have to go to the instant replay, and I'm not going to do that right now. Um. But yeah, so um, I've just been endlessly fascinated with it, and now want to start. I mean, really, from the beginning, it was less about, ooh, I want to play these games, and more about, ooh, I want to create these worlds. Mm-hmm. I want to build I, this. I do think it's remarkable that
1: somebody put an Oculus on your head, and you immediately bought an
0: HTC Vive. <laughs> well, you know, I'd been kind of poking around at reviews and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. I liked the Oculus, but in the end, the I really liked the room scale stuff and Vive's room scale seemed a little bit more put together. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we're we're talking about splitting hairs to a certain degree, but the general consensus was the Vive headset is more comfortable. The Vive room scale is a little better. The Oculus touch controllers are a little better than the Vive ones, though the Vive ones are better than the stock Oculus controllers. So Mm I could have kind of gone either way. But the Vive seemed the path of least resistance or something. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm always looking for the sweet spot. And so there's flaws or limitations in any technology. And so I just try and find the one. Um, but in general, my path from about second grade on was almost entirely about technology. Okay. Like I took my first programming class in the second grade. It was basic computer programming on Apple IIs, and I've kind of been in love with computers and technology since then, up to and including pursuing uh computer science courses at college. Um and then now doing this professionally for the last 20 years. Now, that's development in general, computer based problem solving, not necessarily VR development for the last 20 years, because then this podcast wouldn't be about me learning how to do VR development. No. Maybe. I'd already know how to do that, and that would be awesome. But we're just going to have to get there. Mm-hmm. what I find fascinating is that my path is almost diametrically opposed to yours. Not so much diametrically opposed. Let's call it orthogonal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very different background. Um, I, I guess in the, in the last couple of years, I've spent almost all of my time developing. I started in the, in the FileMaker platform, which is how I met Dave at our, our local uh, FileMaker user group. Um, I did three or four years of full-time FileMaker development and eventually started my own consulting company, which I still run and still pays the bills and keeps the lights on. I wouldn't quite call it my day job. Um, It's like half my day job and everything else is VR at this point. But it it is the only thing that brings money in at this point, so I guess you could call it a job. Um, But uh, over the last year or so, I started... Actually, I guess the last two years since I started my business, I got really interested in iOS development for a while and uh, the Swift language and did some stuff there. I made a couple of apps that I never shipped, and then I made a game last fall that didn't have any success whatsoever in the store, but it was it was a fascinating development experience. It was a whole different set of challenges that I never had, and uh, it just kind of... It, it became really obvious to me that a lot of the things that were holding me back from a lot of the different app ideas of never shipping anything, I didn't want to be responsible for other people's data anymore. And having a game to make with a completely different set of rules and a whole, just a whole different environment was fascinating and challenging and more engaging. And I was just way more excited about the type of development that I was doing. Um, and this was in Sprite Kit, which not to... Nox Sprite Kit, but it's nothing compared to what Unity and Unreal Engine can do. And when I made the decision that I'm gonna make more and more games, I figured I'd better better move over to the Pro Tools. Um so I guess that's a quick recap of the last couple of years, but you were talking about the, the different paths between us, um, with you growing up with technology. I was almost the opposite where I didn't really have any exposure to computers as a kid aside from like the one computer at the public library and i remember in elementary school we had a computer lab but it wasn't a computer lab that we could go to and use it was a computer lab where they took us once a once you know once a quarter and showed like a teacher would show us the inside of the computer like this is what the future looks like like what does it do <laughs> like they never turned it on <laughs> So I don't think anybody at the school knew how to work it um, but yeah, so not a lot of experience with computers as a kid. My parents never had one at home um, so i and I don't think I got my my first computer until two thousand or two thousand one, pretty late to the game um, and even even at that point, I really didn't do anything with computers other than just what you would think of as consumer-level stuff. I used it for web browsing and email and, hey, this is a great machine to watch anime on. And uh, that was about it. It was just a personal device. And it, it stayed like that all the way up until 2011 when I started getting into FileMaker development. So yeah, couldn't, that's, that's pretty different from your path of 20 years of development. For me, it's been the last almost six years of development. But before that, I had almost no interest in computers. It was when I got into FileMaker and realized, like for the first time, that hey, I can actually make useful things with this, and it's not nearly as hard as I thought it was. I always just assumed that programming was this huge barrier to entry that I was never going to be smart enough to do it. Um, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't be further from thinking that now. I think it's the most engaging thing that I've done over the last, or pretty much my entire life. And I think learning a new programming language is the most exciting thing I can do. I've picked up like five in the last two years. uh, (laughs) I'm not not experts at any of them, but (sighs) I I know how to make stuff go, which is really exciting. When you just start from a clean slate, like I'm starting in C++ now, like I don't even know what pointers are. I don't understand this frustrating concept, but I'm going to make it go and put stuff on the screen and move stuff around. And it's just a lot of fun. Awesome. So, you know, that's a little bit about us. We, you know, we joked about you getting into the Vive. I also got a Vive. Um, mainly,
0: I ordered everything maybe a week or two after you did. And uh, now let's let's comment. This is actually having never put a VR device on your head. Yeah. Just just so, my reaction to it was strong enough that you said, I got to get into some of this.
1: Yeah, well, you tried it at our local game development meetup. We went there for the first time, I think, in January or February, and that's where you tried it. I didn't quite have the confidence in people around me to put a headset on in front of a bunch of strangers. I was a little too self-confident for that, or self-conscious for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I don't trust humans at all, and especially 40 of them that I can't see just seemed like a bad (laughs) idea.
0: Yeah, being blindfolded at the party just sounds great, doesn't it, Joe?
1: N- nope, not at all. But yeah, just watching how you like you were ducking and you were playing super hot, which it's probably the best first VR experience you could imagine because it's just such a well-polished game. And uh just just seeing so, the thing that really kind of opened my eyes to it is I had always had this assumption that VR had to be photorealistic, immersive Super realistic stuff and seeing super hot with really basic stylized assets and like what three colors, white, gray and red. Like, I was like, I saw that I'm like, I can make stuff like that. Maybe not as polished as this. I'm not going to say I can reproduce that game or be as successful with it. But it, it occurred to me, like, I know how to make this type of thing. Mm-hmm. After just working with the tools and Xcode and SpriteKit, like, I, I could recognize elements of the game and, like, I could do something like that. And that's what made me want to get into VR. At this point, I had already decided I was going to transition to full time game development, but I was still really thinking I was going to do a lot more mobile game development but after seeing that and then looking into first unity and then unreal engine i realized like this is a a way more interesting set of problems there's not nearly as much competition from a business sense like i really want to transition this to be a full-time thing so this is kind of you know a whole new market to jump into so i figured this is a really good time to do it um sure there's you know, a couple hundred developers or a couple thousand developers that have been doing this since the beginning when uh, Oculus did their Kickstarter, but there's not nearly as much experience in this industry as there are, say, in mobile games, where there are, I think Apple said last week, what, 16 million developers on Apple's development network. I'm like, "Ah, that's too many. I don't want
0: to, I don't really want to do that right now. Why don't you become one more fish in that sea? Yeah, I'd rather not.
1: So yeah, I I wrestled for a while of you know looking at Unity or Unreal Engine. Unity seems easier. Unreal Engine seems way more interesting, which is what I've settled on for now. I've been spent the last six weeks or so working through a course and a bunch of tutorials and reading every blog I can find and just learning my way around the engine, learning Visual
0: Studio a little bit. Um, yeah, so. Just, so that's that's a thing to, to look at, because you are way ahead of me. Um, I haven't started learning any of that stuff. I've got the coursework. It's all set up. I've got the tools. I'm ready to go. I'm just trying to find some time. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, at this point, I'm uh, 40 days out from my big professional tech conference of the year. And... There's a really good chance that I'm going to be lagging behind until at least after that. Okay. Um just it's it's consuming tons of time with my day job. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be learning ahead and then I'll be following along behind. Yep.
1: And and one reason we decided to do this now is because Dave asks good questions, even if he's not doing the VR stuff right away, he'll be able to ask articulate and intelligent questions of me as I'm learning stuff and kind of challenge my limited understanding of things. It's always frustrating and enlightening when somebody grills me on something I just learned and I badly explain it and realize I really didn't understand what I just learned. I need to go back and relearn that. So there's going to be a lot of that. Definitely. So don't ask me about pointers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's another interesting point from this podcast is we're going to be exploring a lot of new ground, both for us and potentially for the listeners. So I can't at any point vouch for the absolute accuracy of any of the information we provide. We are could, not experts on this topic. We are learning this topic just like a lot of other people.
1: Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to who this podcast is for, as far as listeners. Um, I would say, the main audience is other people who want to follow along and get into this industry. You just, you know, figure out what we're doing and kind of do the same thing. Um, I also think it would be entertaining for experienced game developers to listen to us and kind of laugh at our mistakes and maybe send us feedback and point (laughs) us in the right direction from time (laughs) to time, but also just get a good kick of like how hilarious and frustrating it is to be the noob in a language or a platform um
0: yeah hey remember when you didn't understand pointers (laughs) it was so great
1: yeah i mean i remember just thinking i think i have the most experience like this from filemaker because filemaker is the only thing i could say definitively confidently that i'm an expert in that platform i can do anything i set my mind to in that platform with relative ease compared to php or swift or anything else um but I remember the first six months of FileMaker development sometimes being really fascinating, sometimes just being really frustrating when I didn't know how to ask the question. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, there were problems that I needed to solve that I didn't know how to, go, how to Google because I didn't understand enough about the technology. And it was really only about a year or so into development that I finally did what I'm doing now with Unreal Engine, which was really read the documentation not just the third-party stuff, not the blogs, not talking to people in the office, but read the original documentation from FileMaker, or in this case, from Unreal Engine, and get the terminology right. Because I was missing such a, uh, I was missing a framework of knowledge that I just couldn't piece together other ideas because I, I was missing so much in the middle. Um, and when I finally I read FileMaker's documentation, I took their training series, and like in six weeks. I felt like I gained 2 years of experience. And I, that's you know that's I'm, that's why I'm trying to spend so much time on coursework and documentation now and not repeat the same mistakes that I did at that point in filemaker development. I at the same time I did the exact opposite recently with PHP. I had a large PHP project to do for a customer and I said, you know, what it's a language I'll figure it out as I go and I did. <laughs> And most of it went well, but it took me a lot longer than I wanted it to take. And it was it was not an hourly build project. It was something I agreed to do at a fixed price. And I said, you know, I know this is a risk that is going to basically take me anywhere from this amount of time to three times that. But it was a risk that I was willing to take just because I wanted to learn the language and and the and just how to make web apps. In this case, I'm you know back to doing it the other way of like learning learning my way through the documentation first and understanding the terms before I dive in and start making something. Which isn't to say that's going to be very long. I think (laughs) by, by next week or the week after I will be working on my first game. At this point, I've got it narrowed down to a handful of things. Um, but I'm, I've been making myself, you know, keep those things in a list and, uh, come back to them after I finish the course just because I tend to have a lot of ideas and want to jump to the most recent
0: or novel idea that's always one of the hardest parts for me is as I'm learning it there's there's a little list in my head of technical problems I don't know how to solve Mm -hmm. and as the documentation or learning materials start checking those boxes for me suddenly I, I reach this critical point where I'm like wait a second all the boxes I could think of have been checked. Let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where I'm I'm the
1: opposite where I check one of those boxes and I immediately want to to do something with that. Like I learned this one new thing, I bet I can make an entire ecosystem based on this one skill. <laughs> but no, that's not realistic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um small digression. Okay. Do you want to chat about the Apple stuff?
1: Sure, a little bit. Okay. So, uh, I guess from a, I guess from what I've seen in the game develop, from the game community in general, um, Apple devices are not exactly popular. But from coming from a development background, Apple devices are very
0: popular. Almost every developer that I know. Has a MacBook. What was that statistic that Apple had at WDC? WWDC. It was uh, two thirds of all GitHub, all GitHub pull requests are done by a Mac. Yeah, two thirds. That was insane to me. Yeah, but I was already like I I I had it in like perfectly in line with Steve Martin's LA story. I had already written the dialogue for talking about Apple's WWDC and its impact on VR. It was going to be like, this week at WWDC, Apple announced absolutely nothing related to VR or AR. Mm-hmm. Moving on. And that is not what they did.
1: Yeah. So why this is important to us is because we've both been – you've been a Mac person forever. I think even before
0: computers, <laughs> You just had been sitting there waiting. Um, I I still vividly remember seeing a Mac for the first time. And mm-hmm. it was it was in my house. My father worked for a company that was an early Macintosh adopter. And so this was late 84, early 85 at the latest, when I got plunked mm-hmm. down in front of this computer with a mouse. And I'd already been using computers for a cup three, four years prior to that point. So it was mostly Apple II. So I was used to a sort of command line interface, a very, very loose sort of command line interface. And this Mac is just bizarre, like ultra high resolution graphics for the time, but Mm -hmm. black and white entirely, but nothing you can type at. Like you just go find the thing and click on it with this funny little mouse thingy. Um, it was back when they actually, when you, started up your Mac, you would stick in a disc that taught you how to move around in a computer. It's one of the things that I've thought has been missing for a really long time is that it was just like, this is a mouse, this little thingy next to the computer. This is a mouse. If you move it over here, there's a pointer that maps exactly to where you're moving. And they would just walk you through this because it was a, an idea that hadn't been seen publicly in in the world prior to that point in any sort of um, um, mass market variety. You -hmm. know, mice were... The only people that I'd ever seen who used mice were um, drafters. There were some CAD CAM software and things like that that would use mice at that period. But man, those were just weird things.
1: Yeah. Um, So you've been using mice or you've been using Macs since the 80s. I've been using a Mac since, I guess, full-time since 2014. I had a MacBook at a previous job, but it was just like my take-to-meetings take computer. I spent you know, 15 years using Windows XP and Windows 7 and got really, really used to those um, before I got into development. And even the first couple years in FileMaker, it was all Windows development. And then I was, I took a job that everybody had MacBooks and they gave me a MacBook and I got used to it. And it was a huge drain on productivity for the first six weeks. And then I slowly, over the next two or three years, picked up all kinds of third party tools and services and Apple scripts and just all kinds of stuff that have optimized my workflow that when I got into VR this past winter, Obviously that wasn't a possibility with a three-year-old MacBook. So it was time to buy a PC. And you went and bought a custom or you went and built a PC, which was kind of fascinating and weird. And I just went for the uh the razor blade. So the late 2016 razor blade, all finished package. I got a razor core and it was just unbox it, plug it in, and have VR. That was the idea anyway. So we both spent the last five months on PCs, even though we weren't super crazy about it. By this point, when I tried to go back and use Windows 10 for the first time, I just wasn't productive there. Like I had lost all muscle memory of Windows. It was a little bit different from Windows 7, but not that different. It was just all these tiny optimizations that I'd made to my workflow on the Mac had built up to the point where I felt like my I had one hand tied behind my back working on Windows. And the last five months or so, I've started to get a little bit better at it. But it feels like every time I put the MacBook away and get the Razor out and go into Unreal Engine and spend the day there, it's like, I can do that, but I can't do anything else on this machine effectively. So everything else for my work has been on the other computer. And then Apple comes around with this announcement this week that, hey, you can finally do VR development on a Mac. And I bought one immediately. <laughs>
0: It took me an extra couple of days. But yeah.
1: I think it took you a day. It took me it took me fifteen minutes longer than it would have because I was talking to you.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean I needed another laptop anyway. So in general, um what was announced at WWDC this year is that um most of the iMacs are now VR capable basically out of the box and they are adding the technology to the new operating systems to really make them sing. And there's also tech coming in the new operating system to be released in like September, October, Mm -hmm. um, for dramatically better support for, uh, eGPUs. So, Uh, video cards in external boxes, which will allow the laptops to be more VR capable. I was thinking today that it might be interesting if VR actually became a huge thing for Apple because the need to fit a high-powered graphics card in a laptop might be the only thing that could make Apple produce a laptop that was slightly thicker than the previous generation. (laughs) That would be glorious. (laughs) Um, But then there was... Uh, a bunch of tech on the VR side, some really interesting stuff on the AR side. Um, Apple added, or at least announced, a large amount of stuff. And unlike, say, a Microsoft um, release or something like that, as a general rule of thumb, when Apple announces it publicly, it actually becomes a product. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to people who like to send up trial balloons or, well, we're working on this and we plan to release it at the end of the year, but lots of plans change. As a general rule of thumb, if Apple announces that this is what they're working on, it's going to happen. Mm, yeah. Um, let me also comment real quick that that um, I'm spending about a third of my day working in Windows Joe, you're still doing some Windows uh, while yeah, you're waiting for your Mac to show up. Um, yeah, I
1: would say it's even the last six weeks or so, I've spent eight to ten hours a day in Windows, and then any consulting work I have to do, I grab the MacBook.
0: Yeah. I am sure that someone who had never stepped out of Windows would probably be almost as productive as you were on a Mac. Yeah. Um it's really just a comfort and familiarity thing. I'm not saying Windows is bad. I'm not saying Microsoft sucks. I got out of that stuff in like the 80s. Um, yeah. De- for me, it's definitely about, it's mostly about
1: the third party tools. The ecosystem in Mac OS and iOS is in- incredibly rich with independent developers just making really, really handy things. And there are at least, I think I, I made a list today of things I need to install on the new MacBook when it gets here, and there are 35 apps that I use at least (laughs) twice a week that are not available on Windows. Yeah, you're stuck. Yeah, I'm pretty screwed. And for me, it's like, I'm I would be just as happy if I could legitimately run macOS on a really high powered PC. I would be thrilled with that. I'm not crazy about software piracy, which is why I'm not making a Hackintosh, but um I, when i when i buy an expensive macbook i'm really, really i'm buying the the most expensive hardware i can get that's going to be get me closest to vr development but really i'm buying macos and the ecosystem and if they gave me another way to do that i would so i do hear a lot of criticism from friends of and friends and family like oh i would never spend that much money on a computer I'm like well it, the amount of time it saves me, my time is worth way more to me than my money. I can get more money. That's the easy part. I can't get my time back. Like Once I
0: use it, it's gone. So in general, the first major subjective, effectively utterly subjective decision that we made for purposes of a lot of our development is we prefer Macintosh. And that's where a lot of our attention is going to skew, particularly once we get past about the next six months and the rest of Apple's new tech pops up. Mm -hmm. Um, But that by no means means that you can't hang out with us or whatever if you are a dedicated Windows user. As a matter of fact, if some of these things become easier on Windows, by all means, tell me about it. Because I'm going to end up dual booting and... Uh, running things in VMs and doing things on both sides, I'm guessing pretty much constantly, if for no other reason than the fact that today, almost all of our customers are on the Windows side.
1: Yeah. And even for now, as all this new software advances come out in Mac OS and Metal 2 to support VR development, none of that's actually going to be ready until this fall for Unreal Engine. So Unreal Engine's not even going to have a preview of working VR stuff on the Mac until September and they're planning a release in October. So I'll still have to work in Windows until then at least to make any progress in, in Unreal Engine. I could theoretically jump to Unity and speed that up a little bit because they've already got a really rough early uh, macOS development environment for VR. Um, so I could, you know, if I had a, a project that I really wanted to get out the summer, I could look at doing that.
0: So did... Did the earlier adoption of the Apple side of technology on the Unity side give you any pause in thinking maybe I really should just stop with Unreal Engine at this point and transition over to learning Unity?
1: It, I did think that, did have that thought. Um, I haven't necessarily ruled that out. I, I don't think it's necessarily picking one or the other. It's, mo- it's more about of. What should I spend most of my time and attention on right now? Because I've only got a limited amount of time. I Basically, for the record, I've given myself about a five-month deadline to make a go at VR development. At the end of that period, I have to have a, some kind of sense of what I'm going to do for a living in this industry, or I have to go back and get some FileMaker consulting work or maybe in sub- sub- subcontracting in game development, something like that. But I've given myself basically my company is financing a five-month experiment of Joe learn VR full-time and make one or more products for resale by the end of October. And uh so that's the goal. So I've got four and a half months left of that as of now. And I've already spent a couple, you know, almost six weeks in Unreal Engine. Do I want to jump to Unity? Do I want to give up that? What I've learned so far, would it be a good use of time? I don't really know. I don't think so. I'm inclined to say no, mainly because I think Unreal Engine is more interesting. It's a, just a more interesting development environment. Like the C++ has more applications to me personally because just, I guess, hedging my bets a little bit. If I can't make a go of this, C++ will serve me better in the Apple ecosystem and particularly the FileMaker ecosystem where I could start making plugins if I need to this fall. Um, things like that, where Unity, I didn't see, aside from learning more general game development concepts, I didn't really see anything there that would carry over to any of the other industries that I work in. Um, so Unreal Engine seems more interesting, but it also seems like a safer bet in some ways, even though it's more work.
0: Yeah, I, unfortunately for the last year, I've spent a lot of time writing a lot of lines of C sharp mm-hmm. and C sharp supported on the unity side. It's, it makes it tempting. There's just something compelling that I find about the unreal engine side. And yeah. so that's, that's kind of the direction I'm going to go as well. But then again, I've been a long time Mac user, like choosing the slightly less used platform <laughs> is, is generally an easy decision for me. If I think it has technological advantages, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've written almost no original code in Unreal Engine at this point. But I, I spent about three weeks working with Unity in January or February, whatever it was. And um, did some tutorials and lessons there. And that was, I mean, it was fun. But when I jumped into Unreal Engine and really started working with Blueprints and then seeing, like blue. Blueprints as an idea, or like, okay, that's really cool. I wonder what you can actually make with that. Um, just thinking about it from a you know a coding background. But then when I could see, okay, you can obviously do C++ projects. That's fascinating too, but I don't want to necessarily just spend all my time in C++. But then seeing how well those two merge together, where you can make a plus project and basically create subclasses in, blue cl- in Blueprints, like now we're talking. <laughs> now I can do... <laughs> all this visual stuff over here and all this logical stuff over here, like this is the best of both worlds. And after spending so much time on the course, making these little games, like I don't want to do something else. This is, this is the way it should be.
0: And as of now, I believe that, uh, unity has announced that they're going to be doing a blueprint sort of visual development environment interface, but I don't think they've released anything yet.
1: Yeah. And that that's the funny thing about this like Unreal Engine I don't know how they market it but I I get the impression that blueprints is for non programmers like get them in get them doing stuff but I see everything every single node I see it through the programming lens of like oh okay that there's this class and here's all the the functions on it and like I think all of this just like writing code but it's just more visual. And then, even doing things like grabbing, creating a complex blueprint with like 15 nodes on it, grabbing them all up, right clicking and say composite into a function. Like, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> now I've got a whole other graph over here that I can go and maintain separately away from this control flow. Like, it's all really cool stuff.
0: Yeah. In general, looking at it, I'm not sure so much. Like, blueprints to a large degree looked to me like something that was there. Primarily to make it really easy for low end code developers to expose a simplified interface to their own stuff. Mm-hmm so that like level designers could say, ah, okay, so we're going to spawn this critter, and then let's tie him into this AI system, but with these adjustments, and then there's these triggering events that'll do these other things, and and if you had set things up properly, your level designers should be able to apply all of that code in, a, in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. But what you, even more interesting is when, when you do all that on the C++
1: side and make things available blueprints you can say okay you can use this character or this pawn but these things can't be changed uh, on it about by the level designer like it is using this ai controller you can't decide to use another one because that would break the game so i can make it impossible for the level designer to break things like that but i can still give them full access to other properties that they should have access to so they they really have thought through this really well the amount of stuff you can make available and then lock down. Um, they do it through this series of C++ macros that you just put this line, like uh, U property or U function with some parameters. You put that above a C plus plus function or variable and then uh, make that available to Blueprints. And it shows up in various different ways.
0: Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to it. Because yeah. even if it's like... Even if it's a... a th- Thing that I could set up just for like an external level designer, I just want to use it. Like, it still mm-hmm. looks really cool to me. I've been fascinated by visual development env- environments since the first time I saw one in, gosh, 94, 95. Um, there were some people doing some early work that looks a lot, I mean, at, a, at the 50,000 foot view, that looks a lot like blueprints. Like we're going to do application development business apps at that point using these nodes that you string together and route inputs and outputs and things like that. And it becomes this big circuit diagram sort of thing. But those, a lot of those systems tried to commit fully to the visual development environment. And so there was no way to drop down into lower code. Like every single line of code you wanted to write for the entire thing had to be done in the visual environment.
1: Yeah, I can see going insane trying to do that.
0: <laughs> well, like and that's, that's why Blueprints I never is, really dug into them.
1: Like Blueprints is really fascinating, but if that's the only thing I had available, I'd be jumping over to Unity. Right. Like I, I think some things are just going to be way easier if I can just pop over to a text editor and do a find and replace and write 50 lines of code at once as opposed to, okay, now I have to copy and paste this node and change this property and then do this in 14 blueprints. Like, yeah, there's some things that are always going to be better in text.
0: Awesome. So are you uh, are you still planning on focusing on VR? Or are you giving any consideration to shifting over into AR? Um, I know it's always been a temptation for you. Yeah, I
1: guess it's... It's kind of a weird temptation because I haven't had i I I've always been more fascinated with AR than VR, but I haven't really ever felt like making anything for AR. I've always just wanted to to work in AR like I want I don't want to sit in front of a laptop. I want to wear you know a fancy pair of goggles or glasses that all my my computers all around me and I'm interacting with it that way. Um but I don't want to make that. I want Microsoft or Apple or somebody else to make that and sell it to me. And I just want that to be the environment. But since this AR kit stuff that was released last week, there are some things that look pretty fascinating. And I've had a couple of kind of amateur one-off app ideas that I might do if I can figure out how to do them in a week or two um, and just throw them in the store first thing in the fall. But I don't think I want to transition away from VR development into AR development. I think it's more of just like a a couple of side projects throughout the summer. I think as far as like the, I I think VR VR development is more interesting. How do I articulate it? VR development is more interesting for me personally, but AR as a platform is more interesting to use once, if it ever becomes what I hope it will become. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I can see that. I mean, anything that reduces the number of times that I take the controller and smack it into the wall um, is good. And so if I can just yeah. see the wall there, um, it would be kind of neat to cover every single surface in my house with computer display virtually. So that if yeah. other human being type organisms came over, they wouldn't see the scale of my, my technological impact bedding.
1: Yeah. Maybe they just see, Oh, Dave's staring off into space again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's, I can interact with them fine as human beings. It's more just an issue of like already when you walk into my house, it's every single surface has some kind of technology on it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I am a technical boy. That's, that's my thing. Um,
1: So do you have like a house full of smart devices or what are those like in home internet of things type things? Do
0: you have a bunch of those? No, no. Um, Elements of what I like has a weird form of technical Ludditism. Okay. Um, Yeah. The, the increased desire for privacy and stuff like that leads me to, no, I don't want to cover every surface of my house in a microphone. Yeah, yes, there may be some interesting advantages to that, and that's a technology that I think in another five years will be amazing.
1: None of it solves a problem that I have. Like, smart light bulbs? Like uh, I live in a two-bedroom apartment. I only need four regular light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> it it it's not it's not strenuous to flip a switch for me at this point.
0: Um there have been times recently where I was having a conversation with somebody or something like that, and I had a question, and it would be very nice to be able to just speak it out loud and get an answer. You know, particularly if you can do voice adjustment so it comes out as the voice of God. This deep rumbly <laughs> voice that just kinda comes from everywhere and nowhere within the room. Mm-hmm. And it's just, God says, here's the answer. Yeah. And that would be fantastic. It's just, I spend too much time currently bumping my head against that AI.
1: Yeah, when currently you have Apple devices, and we all know that that, that personal assistant is not exactly excelling right now.
0: Right. So that's what I'm saying. In five, six years, either the... Google and Amazon stuff becomes less stilted. It's a little rigid in the way that you have to talk to it. Or mm-hmm. the Apple stuff becomes more flexible and more understanding. But either way, that, that's one of those technologies that I'll jump into when it's a little more polished. Yeah. Um, I like polish. I'm a Mac user you know yeah. i I like the stuff to be nice, not the very first technology you know we were even talking about brain implants one day and the ability to just kind of jack data directly into your skull and I said I'd be signing up really early, but I still want to wait for like the first couple of generations to knock some of the the the- round off some of the corners on the edge yeah. cases, please you know um
1: yeah, frag. Fry a couple hundred thousand other people brains before you fry mine.
0: Yeah, back in in college, I used to be one of those people who would install the the first beta of the new operating system and always, always, always bleeding edge. And when I started having to use my computers to actually put food on the table, mm -hmm. I had to back pretty significantly off of that into a, a good, solid cutting edge. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm going to be on the
1: bleeding edge tomorrow when I get that new MacBook. I'm immediately installing High Sierra.
0: But even then, aren't you going to be spending a lot of your time in Windows anyway? Mm-hmm. Assuming that High Sierra will get Boot Camp working. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. if that has a problem, that'll be different.
1: Mm-hmm. Crap. I've got a copy of Sierra already. If I need to reinstall it. But yeah, I am avoiding the iOS betas this year because I have no reason to use them. I'm not really making, working on anything for iOS eleven right now, so yep. unless I do one of those AR ideas, there's that. So we've talked a little bit about us and who we are and what we've been doing and what we're getting into. So what are we going to do with this show? Really, we're just gonna we're gonna talk once a week about what we're learning. And then uh, I guess to the extent that we have a format for the show, it'll be something along the lines of what we are learning, what we are working on and what VR games we are playing or just fascinated with. And then just lots of other, as you can probably tell if you've made it this far into the podcast that we're not very good at sticking with one topic for very long. So that'll probably be a recurring motif throughout the lifetime of the show.
0: I've got so an interesting what, story about that, Joe. Let me let me tell you a little bit about that. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was me digressing. Sorry. You can just go ahead and I cut just, that out.
1: I, I thought you were going to, you know, provide an anecdote from the last show. Like, mm. yeah, I remember all those times that we did that.
0: <laughs> My sins so, there are fully documented.
1: So, is there anything you wanted to get out of the show that you want to? try to accomplish with it or uh, any goals you want to set for yourself, that type of thing.
0: Um, I need to start. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was just kind of gearing up to get going and then my day job kicked into high gear. And so I'm, I'm chomping at the bit, just, I, I you you can't see my hands but I I'm kind of doing this slightly cornholio vibrating thing <laughs> like come on let's go I'm 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 ready to go and I just it helps that the stuff that I'm doing in my day job is interesting and fascinating at least to me and so mm. I am finding it rewarding and engaging and that's part of the reason why it's being really difficult for me to step into something else right now
1: Yeah, it takes such a huge cognitive load and just a huge amount of willpower and attention that first, the first couple of weeks when you're making a transition like that of like, I mean, for the record, I decided to do all this months ago, but I had a large consulting project I was working on and I could have spent two or three hours every evening learning more VR stuff. But knowing myself the way I do, I made myself stay away from it. I unsubscribed from all the VR feeds in my RSS reader and blocked all the Twitter stuff. Like I didn't want anything to do with VR while I was working on this other project because I knew I would get so distracted by it and and be really bad at both of them instead of being good at what I needed to do for the customer I was working with. And once that project was over, now I've i you know ramped up the VR thing full speed ahead and. Uh, The times that I have to go and do some data work for a FileMaker customer, I just, like, I feel almost a physical discomfort of, like, I really want to go back to Unreal Engine now. It's been (laughs) almost two hours.
0: I haven't been in VR for four hours.
1: Yeah. I think the longest I've made it in the last
0: couple weeks has been
1: maybe 36 hours.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, as far as what I want to get out of the podcast, um, every time you and I talk, the conversation, I mean, just offline, the conversation follows almost the exact same pattern. Hey, Joe, what are you working on? (laughs) What are you learning? Mm -hmm. What cool thing are you digging into? Oh, did you play any cool new games? Mm -hmm. Um, Doing that as a learning thing, I think, is really cool documenting it, I think will be very important so we can Mm -hmm. look back and look at our progress and and things like that. I think it could be helpful to other people as well because as time goes on, I'm finding that I more and more enjoy education as well. Mm -hmm. So sharing this learning process with other people, hopefully getting some other people on board. If somebody else wants to come along with us, follow along, that would be fantastic. Um, But um I'm going to end up doing it one way or the other anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One thing for me, I'm the way I learned is mostly through text, but also somewhat through audio. And whenever I get into something, I listen to a ton of podcasts about that something. And I've been listening to a ton of VR podcasts, and the occasional developer shows up on one of them, but I haven't yet found any development centric VR podcasts where. We're not talking about the VR industry or the technology or the next, you know, the next resolution on the Vive 2. We're talking about writing C++ or C Sharp and solving technical problems and figuring out how to make games and figuring out how to publish them and make it make it into a thing. So kind of the, you know, the, the David Smith type of personality where, you know, he did a podcast for years in the iOS space of just hey, this is what I'm working on, and these are the problems I'm trying to solve, and these are the problems I'm creating for myself, and, and <laughs> I have to solve. And like, that's that. Those are the podcasts that I enjoy the most, so that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping that we can make here. And then I've, I'm sure we'll do the occasional un- unplanned digression into some sci-fi book that you make me read.
0: That'll be fun, too. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRhermit underscore Dave.
1: And I'm at VRhermit underscore Joe. Uh, We also have a website,
0: VRhermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice.